0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com.
2: Marco. Sean. When was the last time you uh, ran through the forest in, in pure and utter glee?
3: (laughs) <laughs> that, that is you. You're the one that goes in the forest. <laughs> I, I do, I do uh, go in the forest. I, I, I don't know. I'm more like a garden person. <laughs> You're the hiker. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, like, I don't know. Maybe I would tell you
2: being on a few trails there in uh, the greater LA area.
3: Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't sleep in a tent under the sky with you know, fighting bears and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's an exciting thought. So certain exactly. people would, would be more excited than me. Uh, to do That's that. right. <laughs> there
2: are plenty of hikers, backpackers. But it, it, you mentioned the bears. And I think if if somebody has some fear of the woods, it's probably going to be in the form of an animal. Mm. And uh, maybe less so in the form of a plant, like nettles, right? Mm-hmm. You might be just cruising along, not even know that you're touching a nettle that stings you and it and it hurts and the, the reason i bring that up is because our guest uh uses the term netizen and it, it reminded me of of nettles for some reason <laughs> but but the analogy of of a plant that seems innocuous and living living freely in the in the forest and if you don't know and you happen to touch it and engage with it you, you could be in
3: trouble Wow. And, you know, well, it, I, I always, I'm always curious because people need to know that we don't plan our intro conversation. <laughs> and and this time, I'm really like, where is he going with it? But, that's right. you know, I, I see where you're going with this example because it's about knowledge. I, I think I always connect everything with knowledge. Uh, you no, know, knowing what is a plan that is good for you, what is not good for you. And uh, and maybe uh, there is a, a lot of education that goes on with that. So things that seems Innocuous and uh, and just fun, like maybe I don't know a social media app or going on a website and doing video like games online and a lot of other things. Maybe like okay, nobody's trying to hurt me. It doesn't look dangerous, but you know, never know. Maybe there is a little bit of poison in the tip there. You never know.
2: And the question is, well, how how do you know? How does one learn if they want to go in the woods? Do they just figure it out on their own? They have a group of friends that help them. Are there, uh, are there uh, what are they called rangers? <laughs> in the forest that, that advise and, and, and give guidance.
3: You're getting there. Yeah. They're, they're people need to step in and help those that exactly. have less knowledge than them. And look how, look how far and around we've gone to actually introduce this episode of uh, Redefining Society. That uh, Thanks for coming on with me because we're talking about cybersecurity in particular today. And we're talking about an organization that is called the Cyber Peace Foundation, which got my attention right away when I saw uh, the name. And, uh, you know, we have we have, uh, have Vinit today with us, and uh, I think it's time to, to introduce him. Vinit, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you. Thank you, Marco and Sean. And it's really a pleasure to be here. Uh, I must say, I mean, uh, today is also a special day for us because we are celebrating Diwali here. Uh, please don't mind the background sounds, there are a lot of people <laughs> busting crackers here. So just a quick question and disclaimer before I begin. Thank you. We,
3: we don't hear anything at the moment, but we, which, we're not. Which is a
4: shame. Yeah. <laughs> like, we uh, we kind of want to. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we want to hear celebration. We we need that. We need that in yeah. this world, especially nowadays, but go, go ahead. Uh, Introduce yourself to our audience, and uh, and then and then of course, as as you do that, feel free sure. to introduce the the organization that we just mentioned, and then we'll talk about
4: it. Sure, sure. So a quick intro on me. In fact, I started my journey as an ethical hacker way back in 1999, uh, when cybersecurity was a caveman word. Uh, Fortunately, in fact, uh, I got access to the internet quite early here in India. Internet came somewhere around 95, 98. And uh, that's when I got the early access, uh, got access to IRC channel. uh, Those were the era where there was no Facebook, no Google, nothing. So all uh, the resources that I had access to was the internet relay chat channel. And there was a special hackers channel. Uh, to which I could get access to the knowledge. And that's where the journey started uh, uh, in the space of cybersecurity. Uh, but whatever knowledge I gained, in fact, and fortunately, there were some good guys, uh, some uh, hackers. I even met uh, some of the black hats uh, in the forum. Black hats are the ones who do uh, stuffs for, for something wrong, uh, as the name suggests. And white hat, there are categories, there are black hats, white hats and gray hats. Black hats are the ones who do uh, uh, bad stuff. G- white hats are the ones who do good stuff. And gray hats are the ones who sit in the middle. So I was fortunate enough to meet all the three categories. Uh, and in fact, uh, gather as much as knowledge as I can in, on the subject. But I thought that I should make use of the knowledge for social good. Because somewhat I could see uh, certain challenges coming before us with the growing tech. Uh, and, and that's when we started... Uh, working on the cyber peace initiatives. Uh, In fact, I had stint with the government also where I headed uh, India's first cyber defense research agency called Cyber Defense Research Center. Uh, I have been on uh, different panels and advisory group. Uh, As of date, I serve uh, in the expert committee of the United Nations, different different groups of the UN, UNICEF, UN Women, UNODC. And uh, other than that, uh, in fact, I'm part of the .org, I'm part of the advisory council of .org and uh, the global president of Cyber Peace Foundation. So the reason why we started Cyber Peace Foundation was, again, to set up a foundation to kind of make people aware, to defend people from cyber attacks that are targeting the innocent Uh, on people and targeted by the unseen criminals of the wide and the wireless world. So that was the whole idea of setting up the foundation. Uh, We started doing many activities under that foundation, uh, which I'm sure once we talk more, I'll be sharing the kind of activities uh, that we started. But Cyberpeace started uh, as a grassroots NGO. And uh, I would say it's a unique combination of a grassroots NGO and a policy think tank where we have cyber policy experts also we bridge the gap between the people on the ground who are there on the ground and also the policymakers, the policymakers who actually frame laws. So we try to bring in the insights from the ground from uh, basically people who are there at the grassroots, the kind of challenges that they're facing when it comes to tech, the issues that that they are facing, try to kind of build capacity for the law enforcement, for uh, the policymakers so that they can understand the subject well and then frame up the right laws and regulations you know, when it comes to protecting the vulnerable populations in the cyber or maybe the new tech uh, in that sense. So we're working on the research, uh, research and development like cyberspace is constantly innovating. Every, every single second, you have new variants of attacks coming up. And that's when we need to constantly innovate, research, and then build those advisories and capacities among the people, among the defenders, among the general public, so that they can counter the upcoming surge in the number of cyber crimes. So as Cyber Peace Foundation, this is what we do. Uh, Being a grassroots NGO, we do a lot of work on awareness. You can follow our social uh, media handles to see the kind of awareness that we do. And this awareness is at all levels. So we are not just limited by, say, tier one cities or uh, maybe uh, the uh, maybe uh, the most advanced cities so we are just going to all the cities even villages uh, even to areas like the tribal areas where people are using internet for the first time they are first time users to internet so we want to build that confidence among the people so that they don't fear internet and they don't remember internet for something wrong but they remember internet for something good so that's more to do with uh, awareness, capacity building, capability building. I already mentioned the research initiative that we are constantly research researching on the subject with the number of centers of excellence that we have. And uh, the third is the cyber policy and the diplomacy aspect because we want to even kind of apprise uh, uh, countries. Though countries have a lot of knowledge base now at their level, but when we started, they, this was might like uh, there were many countries like the developing countries, they were unaware about the issues that the cyberspace has and uh, the kind of role that they can play in the internet governance space. So we try to bridge the gap and that's what we kind of try to work with them to kind of make them an active contributor in in the internet governance space in the cyberspace. So these are the three arms of the foundation uh, that uh, we have been constantly working on. We started our journey in India Uh, But right now, in fact, we have volunteer base, which is spread across 70 countries and uh, physically present uh, in India, in US and in Africa. These are the three places where physically Cyber Peace Foundation is present uh, and registered. Other than that, our volunteer base is quite quite broad. And we are trying our best to kind of uh, uh, do activities when it comes to like uh, skilling people in cyber, getting more and more people interested in cybersecurity learnings, not just awareness, but also it's something like it's also uh, a good job opportunity for people. So trying to get them into the space, getting women into cyber, getting people into the cyberspace, and uh, that's how the entire conversation is happening with us and at different levels, through different dialogues, through different hackathons. We also do a global hackathon called as the Global Cyber Peace Challenge, where we try to get in countries together to solve some of the pressing problems that the cyberspace has. wherein we have uh, people, we have uh, folks from the government, we have folks from the industry, academia, civil society, in netizens, all coming together at one platform to solve different kinds of problems that we are facing and at different levels, from small to big. So briefly, I can go on and on, but I <laughs> would just kind of summarize with. Uh,
3: I can I can feel your passion. I in know. It.
4: I know.
2: I I want to I want to soak that up and absorb it, um, but I, I want to go back to uh, kind of the roots a bit because uh, it, it intrigues me the the cyber defense research center and the connection to the police force. And before we started talking, uh, or recording this session. Uh, Touched on the, the the youth part of this program, and I, I can all I can envision is um, after school programs, uh, community programs, police-driven uh, programs. We see it for for gang violence and other types of things. Um, tell me about the connection between your work with the Jarkin Police and the the CDRC, and how how that kind of plays a role in what you're doing with the foundation here.
4: Yes, so this uh, actually came as an opportunity while we were already working and the foundation was already running. uh, I mentioned that we started working on the cyber peace initiatives quite early, but uh, there was a time when, uh, in fact, uh, the government wanted uh, us to set up a kind of a state level agency to counter cyber attacks. And this was a new kind of initiative wherein, uh, in fact, uh, I thought uh, I could do more in terms of uh, structuring the entire Cyber Defense Research Center because uh, what opportunity was given to me was to set up uh, like a state-of-art center which can also serve as a model center for the other states to follow. So this was a good opportunity that was given to us and I saw that uh, we could do much more because as of now, we are just the civil society side. But for example, if we are there uh, working with the government also, we can kind of bridge the gap between, again, civil society and the government and kind of provide ultimate relief to the victim on the ground and uh, also uh, help the government in developing better kind of policies and regulations like I spoke before. So that that's how the entire uh, journey started. And 2007 is when I was brought on board uh, for this one, served as an advisor for some time, uh, till I formally took over as the founder chief technology officer for the center. And uh, this was something, again, we wanted to do some of the stuff which was current, totally new in India. Uh, the center was to be India-focused, not globally focused, because we had, uh, the center was set up to counter the number of cyber crimes and cyber attacks mounted on India. So we did all the stuff that we could do, starting again uh, with the grassroots, uh, picking up the low-hanging fruits, like awareness being one, uh, uh, setting up a complete uh, secure cyber hygiene among different institutions. That was one of the key initiatives that we took. And one of the advanced ones that we took was the setting up of the cyber threat intelligence network. Now, this was something very new and much, much before time uh, that we started talking in India. And this I'm saying, in fact, that, uh, again, uh, the journey goes back uh, to around, again, 2007, when we set up the first command and control when I joined as the advisor to uh, the Jharkhand police. So what we pick, did was we picked up some old servers, servers which were unused, uh, unserviceable. We picked up those servers, kind of uh, got them revamped, got them into uh, functioning state. And then we set up a complete command and control center with the limited budget that we had. And it was a very uh, small budget that was uh, allocated to us. So, but fortunately, we were able to pull up resources, teams, and everything. We set up this command and control center, and uh, the sensors were deployed at different locations. That's when the entire journey of our project EKAVACH. We the project is still running, by the way. Uh, now the foundation has taken over the entire project. It started uh, during uh, Jharkhand police days, but later on, the uh, police also realized that police alone cannot do it. So that's when the foundation pitched in, and then we brought several other collaborators also to join in. So uh, we had set up sensors, and every sensor was kind of emulating different kind of, uh, uh, I mean, uh, platform, like for example, railways, uh, some uh, sensors emulated uh, like a defense kind of a scenario, healthcare and others. And to our surprise, we saw volumes of attacks happening on these sensors back then, I'm talking a decade before almost 10, 11 years back when we saw these number of attacks growing, a huge spike in the number of attacks. And that was quite a successful project. And that's what, uh, within Jharkhand Police, in fact, I got the necessary resources mm-hmm. that I could kind of uh, work on, kind of uh, do to kind of set up this kind of environment, which is uh, also something that can be replicated to the other states. If the success happened, the success then gets replicated to the other states as well. So that was the whole point of uh, joining uh, and setting up the Cyber Defense Research Center. I continue to work for the center till around 2014, uh, 2014 February. 2014 is when I got uh, the Chevening Scholarship and then post that I just went for my higher education. And the entire project, like I said, is still running. Uh, it has scaled uh, again uh, I would say 10x at least to uh, the day. I mean, today it is like 10 times more than the size that it used to be earlier. So these are certain activities that we did: Wi-Fi wall driving to others, and everything was done keeping in mind the safety and security of the netizens uh, and netizens of uh, again any kind. I mean, independent of uh, geography, size, or income group, it it was totally kept in mind. Uh, to develop and safeguard them in the cyberspace.
3: All right, let's stay focused on this uh, netizen. That's a great name. I'm going to steal it from you. Uh, I'll use it. I'm not going to steal it. I'll use it. So let's talk about the societal part of this, because obviously every time we talk about cybersecurity, we have the tech and the tech think and hope that, It's all magic, push a button, technology, resolve the technology problem. But then, of course, we know that there is a human side. And what interests me, and and I want to know from you based on your experience, that this is happening and originated, as you said, in in a country like India, which is a very big, large country with a lot of multicultural, uh, different area, different past, and, you know, and now you are all over the world, and I know you're going to Europe as well with the organization. And I'm curious, with the campaign of education, with like a public service announcement and all the way that we think that we should reach the the whole population, what's what's the biggest challenge that you find in finding a, a, a way to communicate to everyone, right? To all the different groups, different age Different genders, different cultural background. It's it's very. It sounds very very challenging to me. Is there a it lesson is, learned already?
4: Uh, yes, I mean Marco, uh, you asked the right question because this is something that we as a foundation also uh, had to struggle quite a lot earlier. Because in India, it's like I started our genesis had been in India. So in India, being a big country, many countries in just one country. We really had a tough time in kind of uh, running these awareness campaigns and all because there's so many language dialects that it becomes sometimes very difficult. It's not just English or Hindi alone. There are a number of languages and also the uh, kind of communication has to be effective so that people down below understand. It's not just do's and don'ts that one has to follow. It is also, I mean, uh, awareness in basically in their own language <clears throat> for example if you are trying to reach out to say some some netizens who are in uh, say some village if you go with uh, a kind of a booklet we just mentioned do's and don'ts in english they'll probably not understand a single word so what we learned was again making use of multiple awareness mediums like Booklet is one. There are videos, there are short videos. There are videos that are WhatsApp shareable videos. Then we also experimented something like uh, skits. Uh, in India, we called it as Nukarnataks, wherein uh, we had different role plays. We had uh, a theater artists who kind of performed in a village. And then we had a good gathering of people who came in, who kind of saw that entire uh, skit. And then thereafter, they retained the awareness in their mind, the kind of knowledge in their mind. But uh, whatever we saw and whatever we did, we were able to kind of generate an impact or create an impact among our small groups. So, and uh, in fact, in our teams, in internal brainstorming, when I spoke to the board and when I spoke to my teams also, we had this vision that we don't wish to just do touch and go kind of awareness. We want to create an awareness wherein people are impacted uh, and uh, people are connected. If In fact, after we do the session also, people stay in touch with us. If something goes wrong, they are like our community ambassadors on the ground. So one thing that worked for us, and this we started in 2013, this is a concept of the Cyber Peace Corps. If you Google about it, in fact, you'll find uh, uh, the uh, details about the Cyber Peace Corps initiative. Uh, it has been talked quite a lot in US also, in fact, carried out by New York Times and many Uh, In fact, uh, media houses had uh, print and television media had uh, done stories on uh, the Cyber Peace Corps initiative. Uh, But just to give you a short 101 on the Cyber Peace Corps initiative, it is just like anyone. It could be anyone. Even you guys could be a part of the Cyber Peace Corps. All you need to do is commit one hour in a day, one day in a week, or probably one month in a year, whatever time you can give it to the foundation. So you are like our ambassadors. We skill you. With the knowledge we give you necessary materials and everything. And supposing you are you belong to a particular geography uh, and you know certain language we don't know. Or uh, I mean, for example, if you know a particular dialect or a language, then as a volunteer, we request you to kind of translate this entire material into your regional language. And then thereafter reach out to your community. So it's not just our teams going to that particular location to the particular village or maybe uh, a town. But it's our volunteer who gets killed. and then they are the ones who are taking our message forward. Thereafter, if something goes wrong with any of the uh, audience, they reach out. Reached, they reach out to the volunteer, uh, our ambassador, who is there on the ground, and then there, that's where the connection happens. Like how it worked for us was during COVID times, when people were suffering, a lot of cases, and I'm sure you must have witnessed the same. There were number of crimes happening targeting COVID-19 and many countries, in fact, suffering through these different kinds of malware campaigns. So very unfortunate and a lot of people, in fact, those who are looking for oxygen cylinders, vaccines and all that, there were people who are running phishing campaigns, malware campaigns, targeting these people who were needy. And at that time when people were looking for such information, if they found a particular link, they kind of immediately paid money because they had somebody at their home probably some family member who was uh, in the hospital or maybe who was in a critical condition. So at that point of time, nobody thought about money, but it was just to acquire resources as quick as possible. That's when in fact our uh, Cyber Peace Corps champions, our ambassadors, our volunteers, they all came together because many of these people, many of these innocent people were duped. Their money was getting lost. There was an emotional trauma. There was financial loss. It was all that. and. And believe you me, it was very difficult for us because the campaigns and all these kind of incidents were being reported to us from multiple locations. And we are a small team, but fortunately, these group of peacekeepers came together, they joined us. We started uh, running some active campaigns also to kind of detect any kind of phishing campaigns, malware cam- campaigns. Try to bust a lot of campaigns uh, during that reason. We tried to assist people. If somebody lost money, we tried to assist people to get their money back. So all of that happened. It was all thanks to the volunteers who came. So and and they also became a, a kind of a source for us to kind of identify those malware links, uh, malicious IP addresses, and all that. So we created a repository, and then after we worked with the companies to stop those campaigns affecting a large pool of people. So this is one such example, uh, like how the entire Peace Corps came together during COVID-19 and uh, we were able to create an impact. Similar stuff is basically done at different levels, uh, at, at the uh, schools where we have the cyber champions, even in universities, where youths, uh, basically young adults, they are are cyber champions and uh, ambassadors. We have also started opening clubs now. Clubs, which are at the school level, it is also at the university level. And uh, in fact, uh, to our uh, surprise, in fact, what we have seen, like we started doing programs for uh, the senior citizens uh, because they, again, uh, in fact, uh, many of them have uh, the cases that have come to us. We found that many senior citizens are being duped uh, in financial crimes and other kind of a thing. So some of them came together and they said, we'd like to be your ambassador. We'd like to be your cyber peacekeeper. Uh, Allow us to open a club in in our city. So all of that is coming up. And overall, that's, that's the kind of framework that we are trying to set up to make the entire learning, entire awareness, the message of uh, awareness, uh, uh, sustainable. And not just leave it to touch and go, where you do some talks, you do some awareness program, and then you are out. So that that uh, actually uh, doesn't contribute much. But a thing like this, where you have the connect on the ground, if there are any, for example, a new malware or a virus outbreak, or, or something like a phishing link or uh, some, some malicious campaign going on, what we do is we again utilize the same network. We immediately disseminate uh, the details about that campaign in our network and uh, it it goes across. People, our volunteers then go and reach out in their particular villages that use different medium, different platforms, OTT platform, OTT messaging platform, social media to disseminate the message uh, that uh, we kind of uh, deliver to them. So it's like that. That's how the entire model is working, and it's a very successful model since 2013. In fact, uh, I see a lot of passionate volunteers who come to us, and they are of any age group. It could be a child, it could be a senior citizen. So, so it, it, no, I mean, there's no uh, kind of restrictions with the genders. Uh, in fact, and you could be of any profession. You need not be a techie. Even a non-techie attends a kind of an induction program that we run. It's just a three-three hours induction program. Virtual. It's happening virtual as of now. Earlier, it used to be a day-long face-to-face program, which we have now done it virtual, uh, virtually because of COVID-19. And I see a lot of people kind of engaging, giving their time during the weekends, and kind of helping us. Even companies like uh, uh, Cognizant, uh, I, I'll let me give that example also. They signed an MOU with us, and their employees across the world now are giving their weekends to Cyberpeace again to contribute in different kinds of areas, whether it is awareness, research, capacity building workshops, or uh, policy related stuff. They all come together to kind of help us, assist us in doing what we are doing today.
2: That's incredible, everything you have your, your hands in. And as you are talking, I'm just envisioning all these ambassadors and chapter leaders and, and volunteers and all these people coming together and, and building this organization up uh, to, to be, I don't know how many. Uh, thousands strong and uh, i mean i'm picturing at some point there are more more people part of the organization than those that they're serving (laughs) which would be a nice a nice change right where more people understand the risks more people understand uh, how to mitigate those risks and to help each other throughout this process i'm wondering how how do you how do you know that things are working that that uh, you're being successful and, and maybe more specifically how how do the the netizens show that they that they understand that they're taking action that they care that they're contributing and giving back and how does that show that things are actually progressing in a, in a positive way for you?
4: Uh, yeah Sean uh, I mean uh, some of the quick identifiers that we have is, Uh, Number one, the testimonials that we get. And uh, let me also highlight one problem that uh, I see, and this is mostly in India at the moment, that uh, many of the victims, uh, in fact, uh, they don't wish to report to the police station because there's a myth. They feel that if they report to the police station, uh, their identity would be disclosed. Uh, The society uh, in which they belong to, the society would get to know that, uh, uh, say, the victim uh, uh, was a kind of a victim of, say, torsion and things like that. And if it's a female victim, there are issues related to the marriage of the victims and all that. So uh, the kind of uh, request that we get is, uh, we don't want to interface with the police. We want you to help. This is a genuine issue. Uh, and then thereafter, they uh, request us to act on that particular case. For example, if any, uh, like I mentioned, a victim of sextortion, a victim of stalkerware or things like that, they reach out to us. So the moment we help, like for example, number one is we kind of validate whether it's a genuine case or it's a fake case. Many times there are fake cases also that are reported to us. So we have a team of counselors. We have team of cyber experts who are there, a team of ethical hackers who are there all of them are there together. Psychologists who are there to kind of interview the victims, understand their problems and everything. And after proper due diligence, once we are satisfied, once the team is satisfied that this is a genuine case, we then work with the platforms. Uh, Now, Cyberpiece, like I mentioned, the entire structure of how the foundation is that we work in a style uh, that is uh, where we have different arms, like we work with the Industry, uh, we work with the academia, civil society, government netizens. This is what like I briefed you earlier also. But industry, we work very closely with. Uh, we have released several reports. If you see the reports, we have done reports on WhatsApp where end-to-end uh, platforms like WhatsApp and Telegram uh, was being misused to kind of circulate messages of child sexual abuse. So that was a report uh, that was carried out even Columbia University and uh, LSC also published the entire research report that we did. So similar kind of research we do on different kind of platform and we work closely with them because we understand users are there on the platform. So we work with them to kind of make them safe. We proactively work with them to make them aware about the issues the platform has and how the platform can be more secure. That's one of the Kind of methods uh, well, that we have adopted. So, for example, if any victim comes to us and the victim is not keen on going to the police station, despite us trying our best uh, and requesting them to act uh, on the uh, on the case, there are very few who kind of gather the courage and uh, report to the police. It's a it's a very big problem, by the way, in India. Yeah,
3: so, vinay can I stop you a second because you're mentioning a few categories, uh, you know, segments. Of the population, and you have done this through the this podcast. And I'd like maybe to summarize for the audience which are this more vulnerable portion of the population. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, certain, you know, kids and women, and what else have you found? Is like, is there like a correlation between? I don't know the level of education, the, the societal status versus, uh, you know, poorest area of the population that are more affected or less by cybercrime. Any any data in this um, in this context?
4: So uh, Marco, it's actually a combination, I would say. Mm-hmm. And when I speak vulnerable population, it starts with children, uh, then uh, women. Uh, in fact, and also today it's senior citizens also. So these are the vulnerable population. When I say vulnerable population, these are the kind of, uh, uh, I mean, segments uh, where, uh, in fact, we have been working and where we see uh, kind of crimes targeting them. And this is due to many reasons, like you mentioned, like, for example, uh, there are vulnerable populations who are uh, kind of just connected, who just got connected to internet, to the cyberspace. They're very new to this space. So they don't understand uh, about the entire tech space much. They just understand some platforms like WhatsApp being one and whatever message, for example, if they receive any kind of misinformation, if they get any kind of text or uh, the message kind of uh, claiming that uh, they are a lucky winner of some lottery or some mess- they kind of easily believe to those messages. So uh, the level of education is also kind of uh, not much in certain areas. Uh, in fact, there are people who are not even educated properly. So it's a combination. And we should not kind of just uh, kind of make an image that uh, when I say vulnerable population, these are the people who are uneducated, unemployed, etc. No, there are some of the educated people who are uh, educated, those who belong to, say, uh, tier one cities or... or uh, uh, may- maybe a metro or things like that, a uh, popular city, but still they are like duped in different forms, the different categories of cyber crimes. And under that, like I was mentioning, child sexual abuse being one, that's uh, one of the crimes. Then you have cases like uh, trafficking. There are trafficking of children and women happening through the cyber uh, and different forms of trafficking again. Uh, that is happening where the entire child is trafficked, the entire uh, women is trafficked, and they are sold online in cyberspace. So there are different categories. Sextortion is one of the cases again. So there are different categories of cases where uh, these cases are targeted and these vulnerable populations are being targeted through these kind of cases. So that's what basically the structure is.
3: Yep, it's, uh, it makes sense. And I have a feeling that that actually replicates all over the world. I mean, even if we, we talk with other organizations, we we know kind of what uh, where the, the the weakness. And by weakness, I, I'm not talking about that this population is weak, but is more vulnerable. And there is a weakness. I'm using this word in in the societal structure because we simply, I believe, don't pr- we don't provide the knowledge and the education that we need to prepare. These the the kids and the new generation for example to be prepared we just give them a, a you know a phone a smartphone here go get connected to the internet and there is no manual right there is no how to be safe that comes yeah. with this
2: and there, yes. the, the reality is I mean te- technology is super powerful right and in the wrong hands there, there's no lack of of uh, examples we can point to where uh bad things can be be done uh with malicious intent and cyber criminal intent and then and then just even uh accidentally uh people can misuse and abuse technology uh to bully and to to do other things where perhaps it wasn't intended to do certain things but can be misused and i think uh Venet, the, the, the list of things that you've covered that you, that you're involved with, the help that you provide the uh, the, the groups that you help uh, get set up to help, so they can help provide more people uh, with support is incredible and I'm wondering what's next what what, what else are you going to take on, and perhaps uh, what what do you need to uh, succeed in in the the venture as it continues?
4: Yes, Sean, I mean, we are still struggling on a couple of things, though. Uh, Like I mentioned, I mean, uh, we are trying our best to do uh, a lot of work on prevention, because as of now, what we feel is prevention is uh, the best cure that is available for this space. By the way, I mean, though we are talking about different issues that the cyberspace has, but let me also tell you uh, that cyberspace is definitely good, and it's all already giving a lot of resources and employment and a lot of things to people. So what we are discussing today is the darkest side uh, and and the negative side of the cyber. And certain things that we kind of are struggling today is number one. Uh, Like in certain cases, when when something goes wrong, when a crime happens, uh, certain things like uh, MLAT is one of the things. Uh, Under MLAT, if a crime happens from the other country, and uh, if it happens for example uh, from any of the us based platforms we have to follow a particular procedure uh, as of now w- what we have seen on the ground like if we if the law enforcement for example request for a data from a foreign territory sometimes it takes them an year to get the data from a foreign land and in in the space of cyber one year is too too late it's too late and by the time uh, the victim is you know further victimized Because the victim is not being given the relief and the criminal is uh, uh, getting strengthened and the criminal continues to do the stuff. So that is what we are struggling today. And uh, in fact, we try our best that uh, we try to make people aware to different forms. And again, reaching, the. in fact, uh, everyone, it's not just limited by one particular space or the geography, but reaching across people but it's de- definitely it's a it's a it's a tough task to reach so many people at one point of time and especially in a space which is constantly evolving so it is tough so certain quick uh, kind of uh, uh, suggestions and basically the work that we are doing and trying to raise certain kind of voices in in different uh, forums in multi-stakeholder forums and all that is number one is we need something like a international cyber law. Because a crime in one country may not be a crime in the con- other country. And that's where the issue starts. Uh, the second problem, like I highlighted earlier, was we need to be swift uh, when it comes to cyber. We cannot be waiting for uh, information uh, if a crime happens. We have to be extremely quick. In case of a child, for example, under 18, if there's a child getting abused or, or the case of bully or a case of child sexual abuse material or something like that, platforms are extremely responsive. They take a few hours to kind of resolve the entire thing, take the entire content uh, down, and even uh, police is quite active. But the issue uh, becomes a greater issue when the case uh, happens with somebody who is an adult or a young adult or a senior citizen. That's where things get stuck. And then uh, these kind of delays actually hampers the entire investigation process. So one of these things is again, we have been trying to raise that I mentioned uh, within different forums within UN also, like we need something like an like a international cyber law. And there's something that has been started by the UN. UN has already started working on UN cyber open-ended working, working group, cyber OEWG. A lot of these things are being discussed and uh, safety of the vulnerable population is one of the top agendas there, fortunately, where uh, UN is taking into consideration uh, the safety of women, children, even uh, senior citizens and the entire world population. So that's being discussed. But yes, a lot more needs to be done. Uh, this space is new. Uh, in fact, like I said, technologies are like AI, ML, driverless cars, drones. There are so many things coming up. And now we are moving to Web 3.0 with the metaverse. Now metaverse, again, will have its own set of challenges, my any, any good, any great technologies, like I mentioned, comes with some negativity. So we have to start working on how we can address uh, the era of metaverse also, where a lot of people, again, the vulnerable population will be in that space. So how do we kind of counter issues? Uh, self-regulation is, again, something that we are pushing, like as platforms, uh, you should kind of self-regulate yourself. Don't wait for the regulator to regulate, but self-regulation is something like, you know, your platform, you know where things can go wrong. So this is when as a platform, I need to kind of implement such as certain checks and balance so that the the issues don't happen and cyber harms of any kind where they can kind of cannot emerge from uh, their, their platform. So these are some of the quick things that we are trying to do. Uh, but uh, the journey is long. Uh, we, I feel, we have just started.
3: By the way, uh, for sure. I mean, you you put so many, so many different angle and look at things from different perspective because it's a very complex uh, scenario. So I'm going to uh, conclude this episode because we're already like a forty plus minute. And you, when you mentioned the metaverse, I'm like, oh, please don't go there because we can talk for another hour just on that or maybe <laughs> an entire day, yeah, but maybe maybe we'll have you back and, and talk about that as we are organizing some panels that talk about certain uh, topics like uh, the metaverse. And so I'd love to hear your perspective. So stay tuned, maybe we'll, we'll invite you to one of those panel. All I wanna say to finish here, first of all, I wanna thank you for all you're doing. And I also want to remind that even if sometimes our conversation may sound a lot of, uh, you know, loom and gloom and, uh, and negativity about the the technology, actually, we we try to do the opposite. Uh, we know that there is a lot of good in the technology, a lot of opportunities, a lot of uh, a lot of good things that come with it, and we, it's just our job to p- pinpoint, as as you your job, Vinita, to pinpoint the risk because. We cannot just take everything as it comes. We need to take it with some grain of salt and also with a lot of, uh, a lot of education, a lot of conversation, and that's what we try to do all the time here on ITSP Magazine. So, I am going to say goodbye for now. Hopefully, I'll have you back. We'll have some notes uh, and uh, please resources that you can share on the podcast note. And uh, Sean. Thank you for uh, joining me once again. Uh, it's to- a great
2: conversation. Uh, oh, absolutely, uh, mind the, the, <laughs> the nettles.
4: Thank
3: you, thank you, Marco. And so i would just like to
4: add one quick point. I'm sorry. Sure, of I, course. I you close it. it. Yeah. So with with some closing points, I I would say like uh, in fact when we drive on the roads we, we have to follow the rules of the road like wearing seatbelts and all. Same same applies uh, when it comes to cyber. So like you said, education has a very key role to play if we are able to educate people, educate netizens with proper cyber hygiene. And it's not something very techie, just like you follow the rules of responsible behavior in the cyberspace on what is good, what is wrong. Like, for example, if you are getting some misinformation, please read it. Please understand that this could be something wrong, meant to do something wrong. So so that's what you need to do some certain checks and balance. If you have a gadget, you need to know in and out, like how do you secure your gadget so that criminals, they don't kind of cause harm to you. So similar to that, in fact, whether it comes to email, whether it comes to social media, phone, computer, gadgets, or your interaction on the cyberspace, on social media, on OTT platforms and others it has to follow certain rules of the uh, uh, responsible behavior. And that is something that you have to follow, like certain checks and balance, cyber hygiene that I need to maintain when I'm online. And if you are able to follow these certain practices, basic few tips and tricks, I would say majority of the cyber attacks and cyber crimes that are being done, as netizens, everybody and anybody who's a user of internet would be safe. And uh, the space is pretty safe. And uh, what we are trying to do is uh, making sure that the technology is known for good. And uh, that's what the entire motto of Cyberpeace Foundation is, to make sure that the cyberspace is peaceful and is known for something good, rather than the negativity. So we're fighting the negativity, fighting all the darker side that the cyberspace has. (laughs) Thank you so much.
3: Perfect. Thank you for closing for us. Everybody else, stay tuned. Um, I hope uh, you enjoyed this conversation and you will stay tuned for many more here on ITSP Magazine. Thank you very much.
1: Bugcrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of